Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. talk to you this morning, right in the middle of this Chasing Carrots uh, series, I want to talk to you about disappointment. And I think for each of us, as we're journeying through life, chasing the carrots, chasing the promotion, chasing the things that, that seem satisfying, whatever they might be, uh, I think, you know, at some point, we're going to encounter disappointment. Um, and I, I, you know, I can't think of anything better than almost a year ago now, I took my family to, Dis- to Disney World. And I know for some of you guys, like, we got some Disney fanatics that are out there. But I'm just going to be honest. Like, I got three kids. Uh, one's an infant, and one is special needs. And so we drove all the way to Disney World, all the way in Florida. So, you, you know, you, you can imagine how that trip went. It's like weeping and gnashing of teeth in the back seat, like people trying to kill each other. You got kids screaming. You know, finally we arrive at Disney World, and I've hyped this thing up like crazy, I told my kids, like, you know, the roller coasters are going to be incredible. And, you know, my expectation, I'm going to be honest, like, I grew up in Tulsa, so, you know, my idea of a roller coaster is like the Zingo. You know what I'm saying? Like, what you know about bells, right? And, uh, and so I'm thinking, it, you know, is it going to be better than the Zingo? Surely not. Um, every time you got on the Zingo, tick, 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 and it's going up, you're like, this could be it for me. This could be the end. This old wooden roller coaster. But at Disney World, you know, it's a different quality. You show up, it's like a different world. And so I told my son, Zeke, he's my middle child. Uh, Zeke is, he's the one I referenced. He has some special needs. And so he was really anxious to ride a roller coaster for the first time. And I, I told him, I was like, man, you'll be fine. You know, what, what could go wrong? You're, he's four years old, by the way. <laughs> so I was like, what could go wrong? You'll be okay. This, again, the Justin Graves school of thought, right? And so I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And so we sat at the front of the roller coaster, and I told them, we're going to go hands up on this thing. We're going to scream on the way down. It's going to be awesome. And so I asked him, I was like, you ready, dude? And so he, was like, he said, yeah, I'm ready. We got on this, this roller coaster called the Slinky Dog, which is, if you've been to Disney World, it's not the most intense, but for a four-year-old, could be not a great idea. So I got a video here. Check this out. This is us on the Slinky Dog. All right, where are we at? The Slinky Dog. The what? Slinky dog, are we gonna put our hands up? Yeah. We are? Okay. Alright, Lou. Alright, buddy. Are you ready? Are you ready? Put your hands up! 
<laughs> okay, okay, so that's the moment he figured out. My dad is a liar. <laughs> this man cannot be trusted. Um, so <laughs> uh, every time I watch this, I'm like, man, what kind of cruel human being puts their special needs child on a roller coaster like this, you know? Um, man, the, the poor guy, I, you know, <laughs> watching this now, every time I see this, I think, you know, you live long enough and it's, let's just be honest, that's kind of life, right? Like, you, you, you plan things out. You've got an idea for the way that things are supposed to go. You, you work hard. You, you, you head in the books. You, you've earned the promotions. You got in Mary. You're trying for kids. Like, you, you've, you've done everything the way it's supposed to go. At some point, though, and this is where I think we're all going to connect. At some point, though, you don't need to know me. I don't need to know you. But I know that every single one of us will walk through disappointment. Every one of us. Disappointment is like a, it's a rite of passage in this world. And uh, it, so, for some of us, there's very large disappointments. For others of us, maybe small, minute ones along the way. But I can guarantee you, based on what Jesus says in Matthew 7, I mean, there's two men. Both of them build their homes. One builds their home on some sand. One builds their home on a firm foundation. But both of them go through the storm. Nobody is exempt from a storm. You will go through disappointment at some time. And what I want to really touch on this morning is this attitude that we have as believers that is honestly, I wonder if it's a little offensive to God because when we go through disappointment, uh, we tend, to, we tend to, to try to find our way out and, and we mask it in all so, sorts of kinds of ways just with our like Christianese. You know, you go to church and people ask you like how you're doing and you're like, you know, I'm doing great brother or Whatever, you know, you, you power through it. You have faith. You see the silver lining. We say things like, oh, God's got a plan or God's in control. And when the bottom falls out, it's like, man, I'm just going to turn my face to God and I'm just going to trust him along the way. And I think those are great attitudes. But what we end up doing a lot of times is ignoring the disappointment, thinking that, you know, maybe if we question God, if we doubt God, maybe if we experience frustration with God, a lot of times we'll think to ourselves, that's sinful, or we'll think that, uh, you know, that's a lack of faith, and I want to challenge that this morning, and I think on the other side of this, I think your faith will be more complete. I think your idea of who God is and his role in your life will be more complete, and I, you know, I just want to, I want you to think about your own life for a second, and just how you've dealt with disappointment along the way. You're trying to power through it, are you reading your Bible? Or are you praying a lot? Like, what, what's the five-step program for you as you deal with disappointment? I look at former church leaders, like really famous uh, 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 pastors from the past and people that are involved in church history, and I, you know, I wonder kind of how they dealt with things if we all go through it. And so I read a little bit of Augustine early on. Augustine talked about how our emotions are like the check engine light of our soul, essentially. And uh, they're like smoke from a fire. And so if you have like a fire in your house or you smell smoke, it's probably not wise to ignore it. It's worth paying attention to. And that's just kind of what I want to do is, is get an, a, a, a lens, get a bird's eye view here over what the role disappointment has in our life. You may have heard the name uh, of Charles Spurgeon. He's one of the most famous pastors of all time. And he talked about, to his congregation, he had a 15,000-member church, and he said, he quoted them, I've spent more days shut up in depression than probably anyone else here. And he was said to be one of the greatest 
pastors of all time. And uh, Martin Luther, he was a real Christian. He went through times so dark, he journaled this. He said, for more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled constantly, and I could find no thoughts of Christ, only of desperation and blasphemy of God. If you read the Psalms, like every time I open up the Psalms, I'll get to reading David crying out to God, and I'm like, dude, this guy is so dramatic. Eat a Snickers, like you're for real, crying out to God, freaking out. And this is King David we're talking about, and yet he doesn't censor his emotions. If you read the scriptures, I mean, it doesn't matter who you really come in contact with. This could be uh, Elijah, this could be Saul, this could be David, this, is, this could be Moses, and even Jesus himself. I mean, think about this for a second. The scriptures talk about how Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. In Isaiah, it says that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. That doesn't make me think of long, flowing, Fabio blocks Jesus, you know, looking beautiful on the beach or whatever. That makes me think Jesus was, a, was very well-versed in grief, very well-versed in disappointment, very well-versed in hurt and pain. And I'm just wondering, like, as I started to pre- prepare for this, I was like, why are we not talking about this more as a church? Like Big C, church as a whole. Like we, we are always so quick to talk about the silver linings. And it's good because in the end, God wins. Uh, when we sing things like graves to gardens, like we, our soul cries out for that sort of thing. That's a good thing. All I'm saying is why don't we talk about in between very much? What, we, we, we talk about the grave. We talk about the, the, the garden, the, you know, the, the eternal life someday. But what about in between? What about disappointment? What about difficulty in between? Why are we not talking more about that? And so this morning what I want to do is I just kind of want to uh, take a look at a, a, a really famous passage of Scripture through fresh eyes. And it's one that I, I grew up in church and I, I studied in Sunday school and later on as a high school student. And I'd already, I had always heard this story, but never really from this angle. And I hope today, again, that you will leave with just a fresh image of who God is this morning. And so I'm in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Elijah. And if you're turning there, um, just some context along the way. There's three main players in this story. There's Elijah, the prophet, and there's King Ahab, and there's Queen Jezebel. And so you've got these two rulers who want nothing to do with the one true God. They want nothing to do with Elijah. In fact, they want Elijah dead because Elijah is speaking out against Jezebel and Ahab. They've set up all these false prophets, all these shrines along the way that the people are worshiping. And one day there's this showdown that goes on. There's 850 prophets of Baal appointed by uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and they all meet up at like the Madison Square Garden kind of thing, and there's Elijah, and they face off. And you've heard this before. Elijah is like, hey, you know, uh, why don't you get God to call down fire from heaven and consume this altar, and it doesn't happen. And finally, Elijah is like, let me show you how this is done. He prays, calls out to God, fire drops from heaven, burns up the whole altar. Super victorious knockout moment. It's incredible. And then Elijah takes the prophets of Baal out back, and he literally kills every one of them. Um, We're not talking about that part of the story very often. But uh, it's a huge moment of victory. And so you'd think, as we pick up in this story, right after that moment, you think Elijah is like, "Mm." you think he's like feeling himself. You know what I'm saying? He's like, "Mm, feeling good. But instead... We see something else. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. It says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. 
May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed our prophets. And so if I'm Elijah, I'm kind of thinking to myself, dude, bite me. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid. And instead, we see something else. It says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed. Get this. He prayed that he might die. What? (laughs) I have had enough, God, he cries out. Just kill me now. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Man, this is in the Bible. What? Like the prophet of God is literally, he's suicidal. Are you reading this? Like he literally calls out to God. He says, kill me now. I cannot go another day. I don't want to deal with this. I can't take it anymore. And the puzzling thing to me is that Elijah is literally coming off of a victory here. Like, I mean, he, it's not like Elijah's down in the dumps, depressed, like, you know, Eeyore syndrome, whoa, woe is me. Like, that's not the deal. He's, he's doing really well. But something here within Elijah is just beat. And I think it has something to do with probably what he expected Uh, Because I know that's where, for me, I know that's where discouragement, disappointment, and depression has been born. I bet for you, too. Uh, Expectation is that that's like the the fertile ground for disappointment. Whether it's in marriage, it's in business, you know, bringing up children, whatever. Expectation is a fertile ground for disappointment. You know, everybody has an idea of the way their life is supposed to go. You've got a picture in your head. You know, someday by this age, I'm going to have this job, be married to this woman with this many kids. We're going to have this many dogs, and I'm going to have a car out front and a pool out back. And you've just got an idea. And, and you know, that's just, that's the way we're wired. I don't have a great explanation for this because I don't entirely understand it. But, you know, our, our son Zeke, he is, uh, so he's autistic. And what we're figuring out right now is this, this, unique thing about his personality that the doctors have told us is called perseveration. And again, I don't know a lot about this. If some of you are, are parents to children that uh, have autism, I, I bet you'll understand this. But one thing with my son that is just so crucial is routine. And that's true with any child, but particularly with my son, he, uh, he sees things in straight lines. So this is what I mean is it's, it's just linear. So if we, if we tell him Hey, Daddy's got to go tell G- people about Jesus. Uh, we're going to drive to Gigi's house, and we're going to go on a little weekend trip over there. And so in his mind, he thinks to himself, we're leaving our house in Texas, and we're going to Gigi's house. We're going to Grandma's house. It's a straight line. And so along the way, I mean, we had a flat tire. We, we got to stop for gas. We stopped for even something good, ice cream or food. For some reason, the line in my guy's m- mind is interrupted and and. Unless you see it, it's hard to explain it, but he will literally start to claw at his skin and he'll pull his hair and he'll tense up real bad and he'll kick the seat in front of him because somewhere along the way, the line was interrupted. What he saw in his mind, the expectation for him was somehow interrupted. And I think for us a lot of times, there's some sort of spiritual perseveration that we experience whenever we get 
into life and you start seeing things and you start thinking things and you start to develop a plan for the way things are supposed to be. You've got an expectation. God, I'm, I'm gonna meet this person at this time of my life. I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna get a scholarship. I'm gonna get a job. And then someday it never happens. Someday turns, turns into another someday, turns into a maybe one day, turns into a I don't even know if God is interested anymore. There's like a discouragement and a depression and a it's like some kind of, like I said, like a spiritual perseveration. And I mean, you know this. You felt it before. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're married and it seems like you guys just now finally got things back on track and then suddenly there's just some kind of unexpected fight. And it's like, man, maybe we'll, maybe we'll never get better. I didn't see this coming. It's not what I expected. You know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you were next in line for that promotion. And, uh, and then corona season, out of nowhere. I didn't even see it coming. You know, maybe, maybe you're single uh, or single again. And you're looking at your life and you're like, God, this is not the way I saw this unfolding. It's just so easy to get dis- disappointed and discouraged along the way here, thinking that somewhere you messed up, somewhere you screwed up, and that you've blown another opportunity and that you're out of the will of God now and, and you're just kind of free-flowing and your mind ends up leading you to all these kind of weird places. And I just want to remind you a second through these different postures here this morning that there's a hope for us that the rest of the world doesn't have. Now, I, I read this, this story a little while back about this uh, captain. His name was uh, Ernest Shackleton. And I think they may have made a movie or, I don't know, they wrote a, bu- a book or something about this guy's life. Yeah, uh, but he... He, he got a group of guys together and they did an expedition down to Antarctica. And it was supposed to last 30 days. They were trying to be the, the first person to the, uh, the center of Antarctica, South Pole or whatever. And so they, they, they planned this big trip and it's supposed to last 30 days. And he gets all his guys together, his whole crew, and they sail down there. And in the, in the middle of, of an unexpected early winter over there, their boat got wedged between two sheets of ice and it ended up pinching the hole enough to where it it burst, and what, what started out as a 30-day trip ended up turning into a 365-day trip to Antarctica, which, I mean, you know, you thought your in-laws was bad. Like, if we're di- it's Antarctica, you know? Um, it, this is, like, the, one of the most desolate places in the world. There's no food. There's no Costco. There's no Sam's Club. Like, nothing down there. It's freezing cold, and so they interviewed Captain Shackleton after they rescued him and what was remaining of his men. And they asked him afterwards, they said, Ernest, what was the hardest part of the entire trip? And he said, that's easy. They said, surely it was uh, the sub-zero temperatures. And he said, no. Well, surely it was the lack of resources. Not enough food, not enough gear. No. I guess it, it must have been the loss of life when your men passed away. And he said, no, not even close. The hardest part of the whole trip was the months of May to August when on the solar calendar, the sun never rises in Antarctica. And it's hard to explain what it's like when you put your, your hand in front of your face and you literally cannot see your hand in front of you because it is so pitch black. And isn't that the way that disappointment works in your life? It's like you have an expectation. This is going to last 30 days or this is going to be a season, or this is something I'm just going to work for, and there's something on the other end of it. And then suddenly when things don't go the way that you want them to, 
It's so easy for it to feel like it's pitch dark. I have no vision. I don't know what's next. God, are you out there? God, are you listening? Are you faithful? I've read your word. I've prayed. I'm not hearing anything from you. And it's so easy to get so tied up in that dark moment thinking that this is your new forever when I just want to remind you again this morning that we have a part to play in this. There's a part to play. Your part is not figuring out the plan, though. Your, your part is not mapping and charting the course here and trying to get all the pieces together. That, that's not you. That's in God's hands. And I want to take a look at this text, 1 Kings 19, and I hope that this is just a refreshing burst of light in the middle of just a thousand Antarcticas in your soul. If that's where you're at or you've got a loved one, that's there. It says this in verse 5. Uh, man, I don't want you to miss this. This is the Bible we're talking about, okay? This is so surprising. Every time I read this, I'm like, what the heck? I, I didn't even know this was in there. It says, then Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, notice the way God ministers to him. An angel touched him and told him, Elijah, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And so he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him, and said, Get up, eat some more. The journey ahead is going to be too much for you. And so he got up, he ate, he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. I mean, no, notice how God is ministering to him here. Because I think a lot of times when we think in a spiritual sense, we think, okay, if I'm going to climb out of this, this cave of disappointment or depression or whatever you're walking through, a lot of times we think it's like, okay, I got to read a new book. I got I to gotta journal my prayers out. I got to have a five-step prayer program. I need to go to church more. I need to start giving more. And dude, look at this. God sends an angel with biscuits. Like, he, here's the thing. This is what I'm telling you right now is sometimes... You don't need another prayer. Sometimes you don't need another sermon. Sometimes you don't need another church service. I'm telling you, sometimes you need to take a freaking nap, Foundations Church. Sometimes you need to re hit the reset button and take a vacation. I mean, you need to, th this is what I want to tell you, the posture number one here, the first, if you're taking notes this morning, if you find yourself in a season of disappointment, do the next right thing for yourself. I mean, do the next, let's be practical about this. Do the next right thing. I mean, for some of you guys, that might involve reconnecting with your spouse. Some of you, that, that, that might be, yeah, I was just talking to a friend the other day who he lost his job in this season, and he was telling me how disappointed and discouraged he was, and, and I just said, well, man, what's, what's the daily look like for you? And he said, well, honestly, I have to tell myself in the morning, I wake up, my eyes open, and the first thing I say is, I'm not going to be defeated today. I'm not going to be a train wreck today. And then I tell myself, put one foot out of the bed. And so he puts one out. And put the other foot out of the bed. Now get up, go brush your teeth, go take a hot shower, go get your clothes on, do the next right thing. We tend to over-spiritualize this when we get disappointed, or tired, or beat, or discouraged, and we think, okay, you know, I've, I've, gotta, I've done something wrong spiritually here. Elijah's done everything right. Like all Elijah was doing was being obedient. Do you understand this? And, and, and God recognized, man, he's so tired. And he sends his angel down with that Popeye's chicken and them biscuits. And he's like, here, eat up, gallon of sweet tea, like, come on now. He gets over there and he refuels them and he touches them. Oh, don't miss that. He touches them. 
Like some of y'all need to reconnect with your spouse, man. When you get discouraged and you get disappointed, I know for me, my wife is amazing. She's beautiful. She's awesome. But for me, I tend to withdraw when I get disappointed. I don't want to be near anybody. I want to be with my thoughts. I want to be an emo kid. I want to listen to sad music. Like, you know what I'm saying? But it, my, my wife is like, dude, will you quit being an eight-year-old girl for a second? Come over here and let's reconnect. You know, that's what I'm saying is do the next right thing for yourself. When, uh, when we got Zeke's diagnosis uh, about a year ago now, actually maybe a year ago on this date, I don't know. Um, but it was, it was, it was a, little, a little while back and I was on a... Um, I was on a trip to Atlanta where I was, um, I was at a conference with, with some people from our church. And I remember, uh, it was just short, shortly before, uh, a little, little uh, over a year ago, I remember being in a parking lot and I had just gotten off the phone with my wife. Doctor had given us the diagnosis. We had already suspected what it was. Lots of little odd things here and there that, that pointed to our, our guy having autism. And you know, again, autism is not a death sentence, but w- when you're a dad and you've got an expectation for what your son is going to be, uh, it rarely involves special needs, you know? That, that's not something I feel like anybody's like, man, I'm super excited for this one here. It's challenging. It's hard. And so I'm just going to be totally honest. I got out of the van. Everybody went into the hotel. Everybody's having a good time. And I went around to the front of the building. I sat in the parking lot, and I just cried like a girl. Um, I mean... I lost it. And this lady, her name's Amy Bardis. I mean, angel from God. She didn't show up with biscuits or anything, but I'll tell you, she, she came in the parking lot, and I, I feel like God sent her to me because she had a son who was on the spectrum. And she came over to me, and her literal advice, I sat down, I'm crying my head off, and I said, there's no map to this thing. Like, I'm reading all these articles online and all these different things, and I don't know what to do. And her literal advice was, hey, Deep breath. Do the next right thing. Jeremy, make an appointment. Jeremy, get, a, get him on a routine. Jeremy, learn as much as you can. Do the next right thing. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just do the next right thing. That might be your action step today, Foundations. You know, a lot, a lot of times, I mean, when's the last time you got permission from the preacher to take a nap? Come on, don't do it now. But I'm saying afterwards, when you get home, take a nap. You know, just just refuel is what I'm saying. Do the next right thing. The text continues on. It says this, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, oh, man, don't miss this. This is big. He said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. So he puts the resume in front of him. He's like, I don't know why this is happening to me. I've been faithful. I give it my church. I pray. I'm a follower of God. All this stuff. Puts the resume in front of him. He says, I've zealously served you, God. But the people of Israel, no, they have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed all your prophets. And don't miss this. I'm the only one left, he says. And now they're trying to kill me too. Like, boo-hoo, Elijah, you're the only one left. Look how easily, though, why me turns into why God. And I think in your own life, that's not in the notes this morning, but I think in your own life, I think we could all be really careful with that. It's really easy. Why me quickly becomes why God, and God could have edited this part of the scripture out. He could have been like, oh, we don't need this depressing stuff in the Bible. Uh, we need more, Lord is my shepherd, more Psalms. You know, Solomon has an amazing uh, sex manual in there. We, we need more of that, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Let's, that stuff is flying off the shelves. That's what we need more of. But I think that, I think, honestly, this appears in the scripture for this reason. 
Because again, every single one of us is going to walk through disappointment. Every single one of us is going to walk through a season of life where you don't know what's going on. You're frustrated with God. God's not answering you the way that you want him to. Every single one of us is going to deal with this here. And it just leads me to my second point. Again, if you're taking notes, it's okay to be honest with God, foundations. It's okay to be honest with God. Like he doesn't need help across the road like a little old lady, right? Like when you pray to him, a lot of times I, I, I censor my prayers and I'm like, God, you know, I know you're in control, I know you're holy, I know you're going, I know you have a plan for my life. I think God, what he wants from us is to be like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is so out of control, where are you? I think he wants that. I think God desires our honesty. He doesn't desire some cleaned up version, some mask of us walking in prepared with our prayers. It's okay to be honest with God. I mean, look, look at the way that Elijah, if you look at the way this text unfolds, Elijah is not entirely accurate here. Like the stuff he says is not, it's not totally true. But, but here's what it is. It's honest. And, and, and let me explain. Like, um, you know, if you've got a child, I've got a, 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 a six-year-old daughter. She's going to turn seven here in a couple months. I've got a six-year-old daughter, and she's in that age range right now. Oh, parents, you know it if you know it. So she's in that age range that's, I mean, it started at about six years old, and my friends tell me that it continues until they're about 19. Um, so, so, yeah, probably longer, right? Um, but she is in this phase right now where uh, it just, I feel like every week we discover something new and awful about her. Like, she, I, it just, I told my wife, uh, I was like, you know, Zeke is, is frustrating, Titus is an infant. Emery is the devil, right? She's not, wa- she's not watching this morning, thank God. But she, she's precious to me. She's amazing. But she's, it just seems like she's been on a roll lately. Uh, she, I mean, recently we had to go to the dentist. I should have told first services. We had to go to the dentist recently. I'm not lying. Uh, and she had to have tons of teeth pulled. We try to brush our teeth every night in our house. But that kid has found a way at school and within our house, I don't know how she does it, but she has stashes of candy hidden around our house, and she goes to bed at night, and she chomps on all this candy, and she thinks, here's the thing that's frustrating me. I took her to the dentist. They pulled her teeth out in the back. They gave her all these silver teeth, and I'm, I'm telling you, when she got out, the, when, when she had her first meal, she brought a mirror to the dinner table, and she held it up, and she goes, I love my silvers. I was like, you, you look like little Wayne right now. Like, you don't this is not something to be proud of. I don't, but that's who she is. And recently she, she started putting lipstick on. And uh, I know that's a, that's, a, that's a dangerous thing. She starts putting lipstick on and she kissed the walls all over our house. And so I was walking through our hallways recently and I saw this, this, this trail of little kissy lips everywhere. Emery! And so I, I finally get her and I start telling her, you can't kiss the walls like this. You can't do all this. And she's at that age right now where when I confront her with something, she explodes into emotion. You hate me. You think I'm the worst baby ever. You think I'm the worst. You're going to put me up for adoption. And I'm like, you're six years old. Like, where, where are you learning this stuff? She watches way too much YouTube. Like, there's so, there, this kid is, she's just way too smart for her own good. And when she starts spinning out of control like this, you know, what she says to me, I, I, I mean, drill down on this with me real quick. What she says to me is not accurate. You hate me, you, you don't love me, you don't care about me, you think I'm the worst child ever, 
you love Zeke more than me, you love Titus, whatever. She says all these things. They're not, that's not accurate, but it's honest. And it tells me how she feels. And look at what Elijah does. Like, don't miss this. This is hidden in your Bible. Elijah says this, God, I've been zealous for you. Okay, that's true. The Israelites have rejected you. That's true. They've killed your, your prophets. That's true. And then he says this, I'm the only one left. That's false. But Elijah, Elijah could only see about this much of the equation, and God was about to send 7,000 secret agents. He was going to raise up all these faithful people in Israel. There was another prophet coming behind Elijah that was twice as blessed in Elisha. Not to mention, Jesus Christ was going to pop on the scene eventually. Like, God had a plan, but Elijah could only see this much of it. And when he would cry out to God, he was not telling God, he was not it was, so, it was so emotional and so hurtful. The, the thing about it is that it wasn't, ac- it wasn't accurate, but it was honest. And I think that that's what God valued. He wasn't looking for Elijah to be accurate. He was looking for Elijah here to be honest. And there's all these things that Elijah's sorting through here where he's like, you know, I, the, the people have turned and they're, they're trying to kill me. And there's all these small little true things along the way that ended up leading Elijah to something that was totally false. Where he was like, I'm the only one left. God, I'm the only one here to serve you. And that is so true in your life. The momentum of a few true things leads you to dangerously false conclusions when it comes to disappointment. Like, guys, you know, know, you're at work and you screw up on a project. And instantly, what what is a little mess up turns into, oh my gosh, my boss is going to fire me. And my kids are going to be homeless. And we're not going to be able to feed the family. And then I'm going to be, you know, whatever. You know, you just start spiraling out of control. And the momentum of a few true things ends up leading you to something that's like, where, how did we get there? And, and I've, I've not seen this, I don't want to pick on y'all, but I've not seen this more evident in anyone greater than mothers. Like my, my wife, she's amazing. She's awesome. Awesome mom. Way better mom than I am dad. But uh, when she messes up, when she has a parenting fail, you know, she's like, uh, she, she messes dinner up or something. And then afterwards, she's just feeling like a total failure. And in her mind, she's like, oh my gosh, all these mess ups along the way, my kid's gonna become like Jeffrey Dahmer or something. And I'm like, are you, how, do you, how did you get from burning the macaroni to serial killer? Like, th- these have no, you, you know what I'm saying? But the momentum of a few true things, like you go through a few disappointments along the way, you weather a couple of these things, a few of these things along the way, and what might have been true, what honestly might have been true, ends up turning into something dangerously false. And I know this because I lived it. I know this because, man, I went through a, I mean, I went through a season last year that was really hard. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people from my home church are, are watching online, but, you know, with, the, with our crowd here, I feel like it can be a little more candid. So for, forgive me if this is, you know, pulling the curtain a little too far back, but you know, I went through this, this summer last year where our ministry was hugely successful. And, and guys, I think you'll, you'll relate to this big time, but, you know, when, when you have, a, like, success at work and you're working longer hours, you're putting more effort in, you're, you're, you're kind of putting off important things, but it's all in the, the name of doing something really well. You know, I want to provide. I, I want to I uh, advance God's kingdom. Like, you, you name it. It's all under this guise of, of something. 
It's really easy to have success, but on the inside, just be a tomb. And I found myself last year, like Elijah, like I was coming off of some victory. Um, but I found myself trying to outdo what I did the week before. So I got to write a better sermon. I got to have higher attendance. I got to... Um, I got to lead the team better. I got to have better ideas, better projects, all this. And I found myself, I, I remember I was at this, I was on this road one night where I was driving home, and I'm just being totally honest. You know, I'm not, I, I never would have said that I was suicidal. You know, that's not something that ever would have entered my vocabulary. But I remember driving home one night just so exhausted. Uh, cry, you know, I was crying out to God, felt like heaven was totally on mute so exhausted, driving home after a lot of success, feeling so empty, that as a, I was on this two-lane road near my house, and it's a lot of traffic on it, really, really populated, and a lot of cars were coming past me, and I just remember thinking, if somebody were to get out of line and collide with me, I wouldn't have to wake up tomorrow. And Again, like this wasn't a thought that I, I, didn't, I didn't entertain this kind of thing. I'm just saying this was the sort of thing that was so foreign from me. I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to live. Does that make sense? Like I found no joy in life. I felt like, you know, when heaven is on silent and you go through disappointment, I'm just, again, I'm just going to be so candid here. Um, but I, turned, I turned 33 yesterday, and I had a, a plan for my life, and most of it, was developed because I had an incredible mentor, uh, this awesome youth pastor uh, that, that planted a church in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I remember watching this unfold as a 19, 20-year-old or whatever, uh, early, early 20s. And as I watched it grow and blossom, I remember thinking, man, by the time I'm his age, I want to plant a church and I want it to be just like Justin's and da-da-da-da. And so, you know, 30 rolled around, 31 rolled around, 32 rolled around, 33 rolled around. And I, I just remember driving down the road that night thinking, this is not what I had planned, God. I feel like such a failure. And so I went home that night and I confessed it to my wife. And she, I'll never forget her words. She just said, uh, I've heard my husband want to quit jobs. I've heard my husband want to quit different projects and ideas. I've never heard my husband want to quit life. And so a week later, I found myself enrolled in a counseling program. And I pulled up into the parking lot on my first session. And if you've ever done this kind of thing before, especially if you're just an arrogant, prideful uh, man, I just remember pulling into the parking lot and putting my head on the steering wheel. And I just said, Jeremy, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like the, the, the noise, the loudness from so many just disappointments along the way had just crowded out every bit of the voice of God. And ironically, that question, what are you doing here, is exactly what God asks Elijah here. And this is our third posture, if you're taking notes. It's just simply this, to listen for God's word. You heard this part. Elijah is told by God to go out and stand before me on the mountain and the Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? You know, anytime God asks a question in the Bible, uh, you gotta think he knows the answer. I don't think that's, I don't think that was really for God. He's got this figured out. But he asked Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I can just see Elijah huddled up on this mountain here. This is Mount Horeb, scripture tells us. I, I don't want this to be lost on you. Mount Horeb, you know another name for this, Mount Sinai. And so Elijah is probably thinking as he's up there, as he's climbing this mountain, you remember what took place on Sinai? This is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. Do you remember what this scene looked like? There was fire, there was thunder, there was earthquake, there was all these, there was wind, all this. And so Elijah's idea is that this is how God is about to show up. And I'll prove this to you. I mean, Elijah literally wraps his face here before Elijah comes. He's literally covering his face the same way that Moses did. Moses is hiding behind the cleft of the rock. And so in Elijah's mind, he's thinking to himself, this is where God shows up. This is the moment God shows up. This is it, I've been waiting for this here. And Elijah's behind the rock, and I just see him every now and then peeking up out of the cave, and there's the, there's the wind that comes through, and he looks out, and God's nowhere to be found. And he huddles down again. And he gets up and he looks again after there's fire and there's thunder and there's earthquake. And he comes up time and time and time again. And yet God is nowhere to be found. I mean, this is our version. Elijah has seen this before. This is our version of being like, look, I saw it in the scriptures. I saw how God went through before. I saw how Jesus healed people. I saw how God delivered people. I saw how he made a way. And yet here I am showing up, but God is nowhere to be found. Like, everything around me is so loud. There's so much noise. But God, where are you, Elijah's saying? And I wouldn't wouldn't get my answer until uh, three or four months later, I went to a, uh, a high school football game. And I brought Zeke with me, which was just a terrible decision. <laughs> uh, trying to get that kid to sit still. And I, I had him in my lap, and my, my guy, he gets, so, he gets so spun up. We call it buzzing. He'll just tremor. Um, he'll just start buzzing whenever he gets overwhelmed. And what I had to do in the stands is the band was right next to us, and every time the band would start, they'd get louder and louder, and they're playing all their stuff as the team is coming out, and they're scoring touchdowns. And I remember Zeke sitting on my lap, and he just started screaming. And I had forgotten his headphones, and normally we put the the noise-canceling headphones over his head, but Zeke just starts screaming. He's like, it's too loud, it's too loud, it's too loud, he kept saying. I've actually got a a picture of of this moment here. And I, you know, I don't know if you can see it in my eyes, but I was just, I was at the, one of the lowest points of my life. And I remember, uh, after thinking about this moment on the drive home, I just remember cracking. I just broke down because I realized something. That night, I held Zeke's ears and I tried to drown out all the noise. It's too loud, it's too loud, it's too loud. And I did something that was just instinctual for me as a dad. I leaned in and I just started to whisper, Zeke, my God, you're gonna make it. 
You're going to make it through. I know it's loud. Shh, 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 listen. I'm right here. I got you. I got you. I got you. Zeke, you're a big boy. I'm proud of you. Just a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And I just see Elijah huddled up behind those rocks. And there's so much noise. It's too loud. It's too loud. There's earthquake. There's thunder. There's fire. Where are you at, God? You're nowhere to be found. And then a whisper, Elijah, foundations. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know why God whispers? He whispers because he's close. Not because he's far off. He whispers because he's close. And there is Elijah sitting there. And every time I've read this story, I'm like, Man, Moses got thunder and lightning and earthquakes and the Ten Commandments. And Elijah, you end up getting a whisper like, dude, you got gypped, you know. Like, couldn't we do something a little bit better than this? But the whisper, it shows us the proximity here. He's close, and he's always been close, like right in the middle of disappointment. Right in the middle of where Elijah was at, just wondering where God was at. He was right there the whole time. He whispers because he's close. But we have a part to play. We've got a part to play here, and it's our, our final point here. If you're taking notes, it's just our, the fourth posture, and it's maybe the hardest part of this whole thing, and it's just to trust God with tomorrow. Trust God with tomorrow. That, I mean, that sounds like it belongs on a Hallmark card or something. I know it sounds really trite. Um, but, but look at... <laughs> Look at what God commands Elijah here. He, he literally says this. He says, verse 15, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. He literally told Elijah, I want you to go back the way you came. Like, disappointment is a cave. And the entrance is the exit, man. If you want to get out, you've got to go back. You've got to start facing some things. Like for Elijah, it would have been really easy to be like, oh God, new, t- send me to a new mission here. Send me to a new destination. But God was like, no, no, no. We're gonna go back and we're gonna do it right this time. You knowing that I'm close to you. Go back the way you came, Elijah. And for some of you guys, that's gonna mean picking back up, being a good dad, being a good mom, having faith in God again, having joy again, like tackling life knowing that he's right there. Some of you, it just means getting out of bed in the morning and facing the day. I'm gonna trust him. I'm going to trust him with tomorrow. Essentially, what he calls Elijah to is just to give up. Like, hands up, surrender. And I mean, this is like the, the universal sign of surrender, right? Hands up. And ironically, it's one of our, our main postures of worship. It's like, God, I'm not holding on to anything. I just, I trust you. And I, I don't think Zeke could articulate it that day on the, the roller coaster. But I think he, he hopped on that, that scary-looking machine, and he went up and down all the twists and turns, not because he was ex- excited to do it, but because of who he knew he was sitting next to. And if you go halfway through the story of this scripture and your life, it'll probably look really disappointing. But you've got to stay in the story. I mean, there's more to it. And actually, uh, let me show you the, the last half of this video here. Check this out. Yeah, look at my guy. 
You don't need to see the map when you know the guide is good, right? I don't, God, I don't need to know what all the plans are. I don't need to, I don't need to have it all figured out. One day at a time, and I trust you're good. And I just think that's what he's telling Elijah here is let's go back the way we came and let's try this again. Now that you know that the guide is good and that I'm near, what do you have to be disappointed about? And what do you have to be afraid of? Let's pray, foundations. Father God, we trust you. Man, it's so hard to see you sometimes. It's so hard to see your hand at work. But we know that you're near. We trust that you're near, God. Wow, we just love you so much. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online right now. Uh, maybe you're here in the room. Uh, but I just, I want to ask you, if you're walking through a season of disappointment, maybe a season of depression, maybe you're, you're uh, needing to take a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that looks like, I want to invite you to, to just pray a simple prayer with me this morning. And uh, I want to ask you, if, if you want to do that, just to raise your hand on the count of three. If you're watching online, you can join in with us. Don't miss this moment. One, two, three. Just say, man, I, just, I, I need to just trust God with the next step here. Yeah, I see, I see the hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Online, I'm trusting that there's hands out there. And if you raised your hand right now, would you pray this simple prayer? Father God, I trust you. It's not easy, but I'm choosing to do it. And God, I don't have the plan figured out, but I trust that you're good. And Jesus, I want to follow you, whatever that looks like, all the days of my life. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at Nicole at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.